and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with all of the co-hosts. Everybody's here, Wayne and Katya and Mav. How's it going, guys? <laughs> Did we get a prize if we're all here? It's been a while. It's been, it's been a few weeks since we've all been here. We've, or I'm not sure, because we've had a few weeks where we were, we were releasing shows that we record out, out of order, and things were weird and bizarre. And uh, I don't know when today is, though, Hannah, you were just saying right before we recorded that this this show is coming out on tax day. So that's yes. interesting because it means now I have to go and finish my taxes, which I have not done yet. So I can guarantee <laughs> you that I am panicking in real time right now. Not <laughs> not as we record this, but, you know, as the listener is listening to it, most likely. Yes. I mean, I mean, Katya has watched me not do my taxes for like seven years. <laughs> yeah, it kind of stresses me out, to be honest. Not that I'm like the, doing my taxes early, but you not know. doing your taxes for seven. I, I think you I, no, don't I, think I, you I meant what that sounded like. I that. Did, yeah, don't, don't, don't release that. I, <laughs> no, I just want to. I mean, I, she, does she, she does her taxes. She just doesn't do them early. It's, she doesn't it's do, fine. Yes. It's fine. Yes. Everything is fine. Yeah, I, you yeah, did not I, just admit to a felony of seven years on us. Well, you guys, well, you Y'all are uh, doing your civic duty because y'all are lazy. I, on the other hand, will be remodeling my Animal Crossing um, Animal Crossing <laughs> Island because guys, guys, I haven't played. I, I felt like I had to open it because, you know, there was like, you know, back in March, there was like the anniversary of the, the you know, the thing. And I hadn't logged in in like eight months because I love that Animal Crossing tells you that. And my villagers were angry at me, but now I have a sickness, guys. It's bad. It's really bad. Um, Not all of us have the privilege of playing Animal Crossing. I told, but there are Switches in stock. I think you can still get the Animal Crossing Edition 1, which is very adorable. And if I didn't already have a Switch, I would probably buy it. And to be perfectly honest, I thought about it anyway, but I don't need two Switches because that's stupid. But the question um, is, do if I buy a Switch, will suddenly like a Switch Pro or something be released? And will I, I mean, sure, it? of course it will. Because I mean, yeah, that's how technology works. Nintendo's less gross about that than other uh, consoles that shall not be named because I, I also love them unless they're a particular one that starts with a consonant and ends with a box. <laughs> uh, I'm, that sounds like such a hard problem. Someone <laughs> anyway. is going to get cranky in the comments on YouTube. I guarantee you. Oh, God. All right. So now that we've lost more of our audience every week, like we- <laughs> no, no, they, will, they will continue because now now they have to prove that they're right. Now, now they're going to they're gonna come on as a guest and we're going to debate consoles. They, they, will, they will grudge. Seriously, listen. actually, if somebody wants to debate consoles, because I have a lot of thoughts on this, because I think it's elitist bullshit. But uh, anyway, so fun topic. This, I know there's no transition from that because yeah, I just said no, 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 no. This is a this is a this should be an interesting topic. Um, I hope because um, just before we went on the air, we were talking just briefly about how. Uh, was, today's show is on crossovers and uh, Katya said, well, we wanted to quibble with your definition of, of crossover. And I was like, I have no definition of crossover. I, I would quibble with, with many of the things that I said in the blog. I was just starting the conversation so we could, Perfect. so we could have this show because um, um, I, I, and I, I was less hard on them than I thought I was going to be when I, when, when I started the blog, because I think crossovers are kind of stupid and annoying and pointless in many, many ways. And, 
you know, not even clear on what a crossover is and isn't other than the fact that how the more crossy ovary it is, the more I get annoyed sometimes. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where the show started. So um, we're going to talk a lot about what is a crossover? Why do they work? Why do they do them? Where are the origins? You know, it's not just a comic book thing. It starts um, being popular in like TV shows right now because like all, all TV shows are superhero TV shows now, but it didn't start there. So we got a bunch to talk about today. But before we do that, I brought a guest. Um, so we're doing a crossover with another show um, or several shows because I want to introduce uh, Sean Ross, who is um, the only person who is on more podcasts more regularly than I am. <laughs> um, hey, Sean, thanks for coming. Hey, how are on. you? Thanks for having me. Man. I appreciate hey. it. Well, Sean, Sean, you have particular expertise here, certainly in the superhero realm. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I, I actually co-host a Marvel Superhero Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, which is just as cool as it sounds. And uh, where we, we talk about every issue of, of every Marvel Superhero Secret Wars uh, comic going back to 1984. So yeah, I'm a big crossover guy and I'm, I'm excited that you brought me over to uh, to guest star in your book because it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I, I'm going to insert here just because this is the best place for it and then we can move on. I'm part of an ongoing old school Marvel superheroes RPG oh, that's uh, awesome. and, and, and playing an alternate universe version of the X-Men, all original characters, all the X-Men are dead in our universe, but we're, we're kind of going chronologically starting in the late seventies and our next session, we've been snatched by the beyonder for the secret wars. That's oh, our that's next amazing. Session. So, so <laughs> that has awesome. nothing to do with this episode other than this is the best place to, to talk Wayne about wanted my, to, my Wayne wanted the listeners to know how much of a nerd he is. So yes, that's it. exactly. <laughs> Let me, let me tell you. Yes. Well, I have to say, uh, I am part of a 10 year face rip game, Marvel superheroes game, uh, where we played the, the, the genesis of the game is what if everybody stayed on battle world and we just, we picked yeah. up from there. So nice. I am right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> nice. We've been doing this about three and a half years. So that's amazing. Okay. So now we have to start. And I'm not explaining what phase rip is. It's, 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 not the, it's not the right acronym for a for a role playing game that TSR stopped making 30 years ago. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome, but it's just so we're going to be way outside. But I do want to explain <laughs> what Secret Wars is just because yes. not only because not only because it's Sean's show, but also because as far as talking about comic book crossovers, it's going to come up probably several times in this conversation. Yeah. So so we think we should it's explain. A good Secret example. Wars. It's a good yeah. example for the overall topic. And then we need to start getting into sort of the crux of the conversation, which is what does crossover even mean? So I'm going to start with Sean. If you if you don't mind, I'll let you do it since you you're more of an expert on on that particular crossover than, well, anyone, because that's the entire point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So in uh, 1984, Marvel did a crossover with a toy company. It was actually a toy promotion with Mattel because DC and Hasbro were having real success with their superpowers line of action figures, which are awesome. I, I love them to this day. Marvel saw that, said, hey, we can do that, too. They went to Mattel. Mattel did a focus group with 12 to 14 year old boys. They came back to Marvel, said, We'll let you figure everything out. But the boys like the word secret and they like the word wars. So go, go from there. And so <laughs> editor in chief at the time, Jim Shooter, uh, put together Marvel Secret Wars in which this all powerful character named the Beyonder who had never appeared before kidnaps all of the heroes, your favorite heroes and your favorite villains from the Marvel Universe, takes them to a place called Battleworld 
gets them in all of these cool set pieces that, by the way, are never produced into toys and dumps out his toy box and everybody fights for 12 issues. And that's it. It is wildly successful. It sells on average of 800,000 to a million issues uh, for each of the 12 issues of the Maxi series. It causes major repercussions across the Marvel Universe. And the the beauty of it is in its structure, because in issue one, all the heroes and villains are taken away. And that happens in one issue of their own books. And then the next month, they come back from the miniseries. They come back from Battle World. And the change, whatever the change may be, has already happened. And you have to wait throughout the miniseries to see how. So best example might be when the Fantastic Four goes to Battle World, the Thing is a member of the group. When they come back, She-Hulk has taken his place. So it was the second crossover in, in history. The first one wasn't quite as successful, but it's the first really big one. And it starts what I think people love and hate about crossovers and, and sort of crossover culture in comic books, where there's now just a big event a year, uh, not always a crossover, but often big event a year and event driven comics and secret wars will always have a place in my heart. And it's one of the reasons all my dialogue ends in exclamation marks as well. But it's a, <laughs> it, look, it was written for 10 year olds. I was yeah. 10 years old when I read it. I also <laughs> loved the word secret and I love the word war. And so, you know, I'm a big fan and, and I I think it's it's definitely the archetypal crossover. I mean, if you if you ask, you know, what is the platonic ideal of crossover? It is that it is Secret Wars because it's dumping out your toys onto the floor and having everybody fight everybody. Yeah. And just 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 as a footnote, Jim Shooter's from Pittsburgh originally. And and he's and he's nine and a half feet tall. (laughs) (laughs) He also he inserts Iron City beer into many of his comics. And because of that, I tried Iron City beer and I don't recommend it. No, no, that's that's a shame. No, no, that was a mistake. (laughs) I don't recommend it. Okay, so that was our, you know, part of the genesis was, you know, what Secret Wars is, because it probably is the most well-known comic book crossover ever. Maybe Crisis, which is a which is a DC comic around the same time. But crossovers aren't just that. And that's where. um So this is where I want to start talking about what is a crossover exactly, because in so in the blog, just for it, I was trying to come up with some with some earlier examples. And I didn't um, when I wrote the blog, I was in the I, I literally wrote it between grading two different papers because that's that was my break. My break from work was to do more work. Um, and just off the top of my head. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I mentioned a couple of, you know, before comic book things that I could just think of literally with the 30 seconds worth of thought that I gave it, which was um, Shakespeare, which uh, crosses over Romeo and Juliet with uh, uh, Gentleman of, of, of Verona. And uh, what was the other one I mentioned? Um, you, oh, uh, Joseph you. Andrews. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Joseph Andrews and Pamela, which but we're going to. OK, you, you go yeah, ahead we'll get, and I'll tell well, you why. But the the premise of the book, Joseph Andrews, and they're written by two different people, Pamela and which Hannah will explain in a moment. But the premise of the book, Joseph Andrews, is the protagonist of that book is presumptively the, the younger brother of the protagonist of this other book that had already been popular called Pamela. And the authors didn't like each other, but he was just like, well, I'm going to tell I'm going to continue your story here. And that's so that's why I called it a crossover. Is it a crossover? Is it a sequel? Is it just a mean dig at another author? Yes to all of that. (laughs) No, no, no. And also, 
you, I think you collapsed in the blog. You said that Pamela and Joseph Andrews, like existing together with serialization. And I, I also have to quibble with that too. Um, that mm-hmm. might not, I might have misspoke. I, I might, uh, yeah, oh, I might, I might have misspoke. So there's a shared universe sort of, um, mm-hmm. with Pamela and Joseph Andrews, which I guess I'll just launch into the 18th century. Again, I'm not an expert and actually, uh, strangely, as Mav was writing this blog, my 18th century reading group just finished reading Tom Jones, which is another novel by Henry Fielding. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't delve this far back into the 18th century usually because, uh, for instance, Joseph Andrews was uh, published in 1742. I, I you know, I, I really, you know, like the back half of the 18th century um, and the 19th century because I, I focused on Victorianism in grad school. That's so everything I know about Samuel Richardson and Henry Fielding, I learned from my colleagues um, who actually study the 18th century more intensely than I do. Long story short, Samuel Richardson and Henry Fielding, as Mav said, did not super like each other and were sort of literary rivals and literary critics, it seems, have kind of like pitted their version of the novel against each other because they're considered two very early novelists. Which I also mm-hmm. have quibbles about, but that's another episode. So it sounds a lot yeah. like my James and Wells beef problem. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. so like, mm-hmm. so like, so Samuel Richardson wrote Pamela, which we've talked about on the show before. And basically the story of Pamela is a very like chaste, good girl, servant girl who writes letters. It's an epistolary novel, uh, goes to work for some dude named Mr. B. And he's an absolute massive dirtbag. And he falls in lust with her, tries to rape her, doesn't succeed for various reasons, and then realizes is that her virtue is super good and important and decides to make her a real like proposal of marriage. And so the, the back half of the full title, Pamela is virtual reward, virtue rewarded and Pamela is rewarded by her virtue. And Fielding was like, this is garbage. And actually, like, Fielding wrote plays <laughs> before he wrote novels um, and prose. And I'm going to just vulgarly say that Samuel Richardson made him so mad that he ended up writing, like, novels. So before he wrote Joseph Andrews, he actually wrote something called Shamala. And mm-hmm. Shamala is, um, the, the, I guess the literary term would be parody. And the fandom 21st century term would be spitefic. Uh, he wrote this spike fix <laughs> about how, like, Pamela, who is actually Shamala, is actually not a good girl. She's pretending and she's awful. And, like, he, he makes fun of everything Richard does. Richardson does. And then he wrote Joseph Andrews, um, which is basically the premise of Matt, what Mav said. But it's still, like, a parody and, like, very different in the vein of mm-hmm. what... Richardson wanted so they're not they're not one work um which is why I quibble with serialization they're not one work they're sort of in a shared universe in the sense that like Gilding was inspired slash super angry um at Richardson so like you know think any like fandom who's ever been mad at the end of a tv show and decide to do like his own thing on Mm -hmm. you know so like it's, it's it's different for that reason he he's like it's different in tone and then also like I also quibble with this because I'm also thinking about the 19th century and unauthorized sequels like uh, later in the 19th century, George Eliot would write Daniel Deronda and a lot of people were mad about characters not ending up together. So like a woman literally wrote an unauthorized sequel, but like that's that's not mm-hmm. serialization. That's an unauthorized sequel. So right. 
I think they're separate works. No, I, I think you're actually about to say the thing that I was about to say, but like, I think it's the history, like what serialization actually means is actually pretty historically specific right. of like, it comes from, and Hannah, please jump in here because this is probably more your area than mine, but it basically comes from the fact that in um, like massive novels, often Victorian novels, like were often published in a triple decker format, which literally means three volume. I think Lord of the Rings, like Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. is one story. Part of the reason you start having multi, you know, uh, you have series in serial is because people have, you know, st- stories that are longer that you can put comfortably mm-hmm. in one volume, otherwise they fall apart. And then the other thing is also, and this is where the origins of like a lot of young boys literature comes out in the 20s and 30s, especially in sort of science fiction, which is how I know of this. But um, it's also the way that novels and longer form narratives were published in periodicals. Yeah, so, so it's basically period, yeah. the periodicals more mm-hmm. than even the triple decker yes. novel. So, look, the, the Three Musketeers first appeared that way, and and right. they, they appear. Of cities and yeah, they, they they appear. The Three Musketeers also appear in Man in the Iron Mask. So yeah, there's, like, so it's a crossover. Look, yeah, like, like so Dickens, just, I think, is the big example of, like, the history of serialization as, like, the, you know, par excellence format. Yeah. And, like, you know, uh, he probably, he tended to publish two ways. Um, Like, you know how uh, for contemporary people who don't care about the 19th, 19th century as much as we do, you know how, like, individual comics are sold in, like, individual volumes? Uh, Dickens would sometimes sell his novels like Little Dorrit in individual installments. Little Dorrit was published in 19 different installments. And actually, fun fact, Duke Library has some of these original installments. Um, and I got to take my class to go see them. No one. Uh, yeah. It, and they had like ads in them. And it, it was really interesting to see like, you know, how this works. So, so, and then, so, so and then, to, to, to use modern terminology, the chat books that they were mm-hmm. you know, just a, a chapter then, at a time. Yeah. And then as Katya said, periodicals and so like something like household words had like a tell two cities and what's interesting about periodicals is like you would see you know a chapter or two of a dickens novel alongside other authors but there would also be prose texts and it really just depended and and so like you can read these novels alongside other contemporary writers um in that way in the periodical so so like it you know there, there's different sort of uh varying degrees of serialization i think we're going to do an episode on this soon and talk about it mm-hmm. but you know if you also think about like the radio serial or the tv serial mm-hmm. uh and how you know there there different there's different breaks, uh, but it's one whole cohesive work. Uh, and, and and you know what that means in modern times might be a little different, but that's sort of the origin. And the reason I wanted to talk about serialization is because I think well, actually one of the examples Mav brought up in his post is a really good one to start thinking about what we mean when we say crossover. Because I think in two different media formats, the story in one format that's the story is a crossover, and the other one I don't think it is. And part of that is because of serialization. So Mav, I think in like the first uh, couple paragraphs of your blog post, brought up uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. which I was thinking about a lot. Of like, is that a crossover? Is it re- is it technically a crossover? And I think it is probably in the comic book sense because, as I understand it, in the comic books, both Falcon and Winter Soldier have their own series. So that so, so having them converge would be a crossover. But in the TV show, but in the TV show, I don't think it is a crossover because it's part of a singular narrative because it's basically part of the series that is Captain America. So, so I don't that's know why if I brought it's a crossover it so much as a cameo. I don't I don't think it's either. I think comics 
sort of Sean, you were getting at this like Secret Wars was a big special thing, right? Mm-hmm. We we had had crossovers before in comics, like um, going way world. back. To, yeah, yeah. Going way back to the 1950s. Oh, my God. The Golden Age Flash met the Silver Age Flash. This is crazy. This is amazing. People would wait. And it's like, what does this even mean? People's minds exploded. <laughs> Superman and Batman are in a story together. Yeah. And it was like no one had ever seen anything like this in the medium before. And then it became normal. It just yeah. became a thing where people team up sometimes and and they're just team ups. Are they even crossovers? It doesn't matter. Right. Because whatever's happening in Batman's book, if he shows up in Superman, you would never know. And it doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's normal. Secret Wars, as Sean pointed out, was special because Secret Wars had stakes to it. Um, uh, people might like or hate Secret Secret Wars, and there's a lot of reasons to like or hate it because it's not it is not a perfect comic in any in anyone's reckoning. I don't think, but um, but it had it had stakes where, like like Sean said, the the Fantastic Four leave and they come back and they're a different team. Like Ben Grimm, founding member of the Fantastic Four, is gone with no explanation of where he is, and She Hawk's there. Spider Man leaves and he comes back in a completely different costume. Like um, like there's all these weird. Um, the X-Men leave and um, and Colossus comes back and he breaks up with Kitty Pride immediately. And you don't know why. Like there's there are ramifications of it to where the story merged these separate worlds. But then so it was really, really special in 1986. Like that was a special moment. Now in 2021, that's just how comics work. And I don't know that they're special. Right. So like when you say Falcon and Winter Soldier are, you know, in 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 the comics they're both part of the captain america story like they're they are much like in the in the movies they're cap's two best friends and so they're around and is it a crossover or is the story just told in branching chapters like like the mcu is right like the reason the mcu works is um you know there's a little bit of the story here with iron man now there's a little bit of the story with captain america now there's a little bit of story with ant-man and now there's and now we're gonna bring it all together and you're gonna see this all in avengers and then we're gonna do that again and we're gonna do it in avengers too right um Mm -hmm. And then we bring in the Guardians of the Galaxy. And I don't know. I don't know if those are crossovers or not. And and I don't know if the term is meaningful anymore or not. And I I think comic comics are continually move that direction as well. That's just the way you say that's the way story. Can I can I be annoying? Well, when we say that it's possible and I just like thought of this now, so it probably means nothing. Uh, So Spider-Man is owned by a different studio, like the rest of Spider-Man movies Mm -hmm. are owned by a different studio than the rest of the MCU. Mm -hmm. Would we say that Spider-Man is actually sort of more of a crossover than the rest of the MCU when they meet for Avengers movies or Captain America, Captain America Civil War or when, you know, some of the Avengers make cameos in the Spider-Man films? Because that has like some sort of business stakes to it. And it's not guaranteed that that relationship will continue as we saw when there was like that, you know, dramatic moment when I had a meltdown about (laughs) Spider-Man 3 and how that narrative would go. I I think for me, it's it comes down to terminology. And this is very comic book universe, but I think it it applies here. There's there's a difference between shared universe and crossover. (laughs) And in in my mind, the shared Mm -hmm. universe, this is what makes Marvel very successful. In the comic books, DC does this as well, but really nobody nobody does it as well as Marvel. Is this idea that if Marvel is the world outside your window and most of it is happening, for example, let's say in New York, then in a Marvel comic, Thor could fly by in the background in an issue of Spider-Man. Now, I would not call that a crossover because the the event itself, the the action and the and the stimulating events of the issue 
are not involving Thor. It's just this mm-hmm. reminder that they occupy the same space. And so in my mind, there's a lot of shared universe in comic books. And, and it's mm-hmm. part of the beauty of it because it creates this larger tapestry of the imagination where an event is the purpose, purposeful gathering of disparate characters for a common event mm-hmm. or goal, like for a, a common, you know, inciting incident. And so in my mind, like that's what separates the two. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to jump in because I'm thinking of you know, two titles that were popular back then, you know, Marvel Team Up and Marvel 2 and 1, where mm-hmm. every issue it was Spider-Man or The Thing teaming up with a different character. And mm-hmm. each story was self-contained. I wouldn't call any of those crossovers. They were just a story in the Marvel Universe that happened to involve <laughs> these two characters. It could have happened in okay. any book. But I wouldn't call that a crossover because it wasn't an event. It was the premise of the series. Okay, so if we move, I want to dovetail the two things Hannah has said, right? Because um, Hannah, by your question there about like Spider-Man, while owned, while the character is owned by Marvel, I don't want to get too far into the business stuff. Probably most of our listeners understand it, but Spider-Man's Ooh. owned by Marvel Comics, but the film rights are currently yeah. controlled by Sony Pictures. So there is a lot of behind-the-scenes machinations that have to occur in order to make Spider-Man show up in an MCU film. But he does standardly, right? So there's a business um, purpose. Um, I would say that is not exactly the same, but similar to the way in which Pamela and Joseph are owned by two different authors, right? Like one is continuing it, but also. But, but, to- but there's an integrity of the character of Spider-Man and Peter Parker that is recognized by both shared universes. Right. Whereas, Whereas Fielding and, Sh- and Richardson don't recognize each other no. other than to yeah. to each also, other. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like if you if we start like if, if like property ownership starts becoming part of the definition of the crossover, I feel like it becomes even less of a helpful term because like does that mean basically as soon as an as as another owner acquires half of a property it becomes a crossover. Like, Put a I pin in for that for a minute because I because I'm going to come back to that in a little bit because oh, I actually for, I, I actually have that question. But I guess what I'm but saying to, is like from the from the perspective of the people consuming the narrative, I don't know that ownership makes sense. It right. might make it might create implications of like whether or not it's easier to make a crossover or make certain I don't stories. Know. Outside of movie and comic geek world, like, you know, we are we're podcasters who follow this crap. Right. But outside of us, I don't know that most regular people know how much of a kerfluffle um, there was with the (laughs) with the spider with with, with the Spider-Man might leave the MCU thing. Like, I don't like that doesn't I don't know that that crosses over to I I have friends who don't understand why Superman didn't show up in Avengers because they are they're that there's a lot of people who are on that level of awareness of what the movies are, which ones in which universe. And they don't really care so long as the movie's good. So I don't know how much the businessy Sony versus Marvel stuff mattered. But to the shared universe thing that Sean was just talking about, is that different? So I'm, I'm thinking there were points in reading comics in the 80s and 90s where they were where love or hate Jim Shooter. Jim Shooter ran a really tight ship. You know, the trains ran on time, right? Is <laughs> basically the best I could say about him. And if there were some event in if there were some event in Spider-Man that causes a blackout, um, then Daredevil Comics the lights just go out in Daredevil and Daredevil doesn't know why. And mm-hmm. he just has to deal with it. He just has to deal with, Oh, the light, there's a blackout in New York. Wonder what happened. I don't know, but I got to deal with it. And he never finds out. It's just that the lights are out. Right. So there's that kind of integrity to the universe that I also don't think is really a crossover, even though I sort of implied that it might be in the blog. I don't think that's really the same thing. 
because it's just it's more that everyone's playing in the same playground right it's not it, sure. it, you know like the the events in one place might affect another place but i don't know that it's um um the if, if there's the, a blackout in pittsburgh you and i aren't crossing over Right. Or, or just <laughs> if we look at Riverdale, best show on television, right? <laughs> Riverdale, oh God, not Riverdale, that again. Why? Riverdale exists in the same shared universe as Sabrina and um, Katie Keene and apparently Nancy Drew um, by though you wouldn't be able to tell, but there are subtle hints that they, um, they exist in the same universe. Most of the characters have never met each other from any of those things. So like there are, there are little hints to it where like sometimes somebody who might've been, you know, a supporting character on one show might show up on another show, but I don't know that that's a crossover so much as just a, you know, yeah. I have friends who happen to know Katya. Well, cause and if yeah. I hang out with one, we're not crossing over. It's just, I, I think there has to be some kind of like active part in the narrative because I think there's a difference yeah. between a crossover and a shared universe. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, because there's all kinds of completely disjointed movies of like, Oh, this is actually in the shared well, universe of, you know, Blade Runner and the Simpsons and just exists in the same universe because yeah. reasons. And like, which like, okay, cool. Let's assume for the, you know, it's a stupid example, but let's assume for the sake of the argument, that's true. Like, Okay, like what ramifications does that have in any way on mm. either movie? None. So, so, so mm. I I bring up Spider Man versus the MCU as if they were different to bring up you know the the business model and the reason why I'm doing that because I'm now thinking about when companies or studios or authors call something a crossover. And so, for example, Chandra Rhymes's Grey's Anatomy universe mm-hmm. has crossed over with the shows that are spinoffs. Um, first Private Practice, then Station Nine. I'm not. I'm not a viewer, <laughs> so I'm. Oh, sorry. Station Nineteen. It's Nineteen. Uh, Nineteen. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Station Nineteen. So you know, you can see how much I. How to get away with murder has been in there. Uh, how, been his crossover. I, 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 so so like you know you know th- those things cross over. The Simpsons and Futurama crossed over. The I, I think you mentioned this in the blog now, but the most famous perhaps TV show crossovers are the CW superhero shows that cross over. Fox had Brooklyn Nine Nine and New Girl crossover, and they called it a crossover. Although like I think from my memory of you know like. Four years ago watching this it was just like jake and jess like showed up in each other's episodes and it didn't super like affect things and you didn't have to watch each show to understand but it feels like but it feels like a lot of these are to uh, it's an advertising model it's a business model Mm -hmm. Uh, some of the the storylines absolutely like force you to watch the other movies which is also like true of some of the mcu so like Mm -hmm. it's a it's a blurred definition but i wonder how much crossover is meaningless uh, to go back to that point as a term, except when certain, you know, creators, studios, what have you, want to advertise a crossover to make it a special event. To make more money. To make yeah, more like money. It's, yeah. I think it's a useful, well, because it's, it's not a meaningless term in the term, like, it communicates a basic idea, and I think that's why it's really valuable for marketing. But mm-hmm. I think what we, like, for the listener, what I think we're, we're saying when we say it's a meaningless term, it's not a good definition in the academic sense to make, to identify a specific Con- like a specific concept, a specific like form of the genre, if that makes sense. Could it yeah. be though? Because I, I feel like I think I, you know, the more we're talking, the more I think that crossovers crossovers are rooted in a sense of place. You know that the the key there is that, and I'm thinking like Secret Wars is my jam, right? I'm thinking that while all of the characters involved in Secret Wars 
live in a shared universe, they actually occupy very different defined subsets of those universe, right? Like Daredevil is in Hell's Kitchen. And even though that's only four blocks, it's still his four blocks. You know, whereas the <laughs> Fantastic Fours and the Baxter building and, you know, Doctor Strange is elsewhere. And, and so I think for me, as we're talking about it, the thing that, that is kind of emerging is that what makes a crossover a crossover and is even sort of implied in the name is that there's a very clear definition of place and that when these characters are crossing over, they are either crossing over into the space of another hero. And so the narrative is going to be shaped by that space. It's almost like you're taking, you know, uh, uh, one character and you're writing them in a different universe. But it's, you know, it's again, shared universe, but it's still a different narrative sense and some different narrative structures. Or and I think the most successful crossovers have done this you remove the sense of place from everybody. You clear the board and you put them somewhere neutral. You put them on battle world or you put them Mm. in the crisis in DC where all of the universes are colliding. All the spaces are intruding upon each other. So for me, it's, I I think the the difference for me is that real rooting in a sense of place and that the, the crossing over is the, the move to a new space for at least you know one of those characters. And I don't know if that works. I think that there's something to that. I also though wonder if how much of this is specific to comic books, because like when I think about what it would mean to have a crossover in say video games, for example, I Mm -hmm. don't know if it's quite because to me, like the idea of like a crossover being something of like different parts of New York Mm -hmm. would not work in a video game, for example. I think think there's a narrative definition too, though. I I think you you have the characters, whether they're already in a shared universe, but they're having individual stories. If they meet up and have a story together, but even there, I mean, that, that contradicts what I just said about Marvel team up, you know, that's, I don't think of that as a mm-hmm. crossover, but that's definitely a space thing. You're putting these two characters in the same space. But if you get to you know, TV shows or, or different companies putting this stuff together, there's a narrative reason for these characters to be together that allows you to create a story you couldn't tell unless they were together. Um, yeah, I think it's a combination of space and narrative. Like, I think it has to be a piece of both. It has to be both. Yeah. So, so let me let me present two different ones. One, one Hannah already mentioned, right? So, um, I've watched the new girl Brooklyn Nine Nine episode, but I don't remember the plot of it anymore. I do remember the plot of the one that's on New Girl. So, uh, well, and um, on New Girl, the characters of New Girl meet two cops. Um, they are cops from Brooklyn Nine Nine. If you don't know that, it doesn't matter because oh, Andy Sandberg's playing a cop on New Girl this episode. Okay, like that's you need to know nothing about New Girl about Brooklyn Nine Nine in order to watch that episode. Um, you 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 don't need to know that he has a life that exists beyond that half an hour. So that they called it a crossover. I remember when it aired, and they called it a crossover. But I don't know that it mattered in the sense that um, like it, anything that happens in the context of that new girl episode does not affect um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine at all. So yes. that's so so that's only nebulously a crossover. It's a crossover in the business sense. But then there's the example that I left in the blog, which is because I was trying to go. I was specifically trying to go outside of the comic book universe because it happens so frequently, especially in superhero comics. So I use the Magnum P.I. Murder, She Wrote crossover, which um <laughs> <laughs> Which um, is interesting because when I was writing the blog up, my wife, who is a massive Murder, She Wrote fan, right? She's she, And she has no recollection of this whatsoever because they often don't include it when they're when they're syndicating Murder, She Wrote. Because <laughs> she looked at it and she's like, oh, that's funny. You put a you you you, you photoshopped together a picture of Magnum P.I. and Murder, Murder, She Wrote. And it's like, no, 
that's a still from the episode. And she's like, what episode? Because she doesn't remember it happening, right? Mm-hmm. There is an episode of Murder. So Murder, She Wrote and Magnum P.I., there was never any recognition that they were in the same universe up until one week during like season four of Murder, She Wrote and season nine of Magnum P.I., right? Magnum gets arrested for murder at the beginning of an episode. His show's on like, on like Mondays and, and Murder, She Wrote's on like th- Thursday or something like that. So on Monday's episode of Magnum P.I., he gets arrested and he needs help. He gets arrested for murder um, that he doesn't commit and he needs help. So he uses his one phone call to call his friend Jessica that turns out to be Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote. And he has her fly out to Hawaii, removing her to a different space as um, Murder, She Wrote happens in Maine and, and Magnum P.I. happens in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cabot Cove, murder capital of the world. Exactly. Um, Jessica Fletcher's doing all those murders and stuff's not on this episode, so she can't stop me from saying that. <laughs> but But he calls up Jessica Fletcher. She flies out to Hawaii and she helps him you know, and she doesn't. By the end of the episode, she hasn't solved the murder y- y- yet. So you finish up Magnum PI. So tune in Thursday for Murder She Wrote, and you have to tune in on Thursday to see how Magnum and uh, how Magnum and, Ma- and Jessica solve the rest of this murder. And so it really is a combination of those two shows. So much so that, like I said, when they syndicate them, they often just remove those two episodes from the from from the run because it doesn't make sense. But if you buy the DVD box sets. The DVD box set of that season of Magnum has a random episode of Murder She Wrote on it. Okay, and the DVD I, that, set. that was that was going to be my next question because that, yeah, that's one because of the things. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Yeah, it's unwatchable. Well, and, well, and, I, and I'm <laughs> going to jump back to comics for a moment because that, that whole mm-hmm. thing of when you get the company wide crossover, the big event kind of thing. There's usually the core series, Secret Wars, you know, whatever. <laughs> then there are all these other pieces. There are the times when the main narrative, like a major plot effect, something that affects the plot deeply, mm-hmm. appears someplace other than the main narrative. And Mm -hmm. the example Mm -hmm. I'm going to use is Blackest Night from, I don't know, 15 years ago, whenever Blackest Night came out in Green Lantern. And Blackest Night was an eight-issue miniseries, but it crossed over into, like, four other Green Lantern titles. And if you just... a couple of Supermans. Yeah, (laughs) right. But if you just sit down with Blackest Night as a graphic novel and want to read that story, between issue four and five, there is a chapter that takes place in Green Lantern, not Blackest Night, that has huge Mm -hmm. ramifications. That's Mm -hmm. not included in the graphic novel of the main narrative. So you skip so from issue no four sense. to five and it's incomprehensible. You now have to go buy another graphic novel for so, this one to make any sense. So so that's problematic. So uh, my question then becomes is a crossover, does a crossover have to necessarily because this goes back to Kata to uh, Katia's thing about like say if Link shows up in, in Mario versus Smash Brothers, right? Does a crossover have to be um I don't know how to say say this other than like consequential to the narrative. Yeah. And for context, so this was a conversation we were having before the episode. So for context, like, and okay, I am not an expert on the Nintendo universe, despite having played way too much Animal Crossing for my own good. Um, and Super <laughs> Smash Brothers for actually. But Super Smash Brothers like has a narrative to it. There's a narrative continuity between the different, you know, Smash Brothers titles. And it is basically all the characters from all the things. It's like a giant, you know, it's like Ready Player. It's it's Ready Player One, but you can play it. And it's not misogynistic and annoying in the way that the actual one is. Uh, anyway, like I said, I'm not an expert on Nintendo lore, but like Smash Brothers happens in the Nintendo universe. And like the Nintendo universe is somewhat contiguous between different titles, but they... They, so they sort of intersect sometimes, I would say more in a cameo way than a true crossover way. But like Smash Brothers, like doesn't 
the offensive Smash Brothers, for example, like don't really affect the Legend of Zelda series in a substantive way. There's some like abstract lore connections that happen between games that a lot of people have articulated, whether or not they're canon. I I can't speak to that, but so I don't know. I don't know what to classify Smash Brothers at. It's just like a giant. I don't. I, it's not. It's not. A, it's just like a giant cameo fest. It's it's mm-hmm. not a crossover really either. But it's I, it's just except that it's exactly Secret Wars. Yeah, so I think the, it is. That's where I'm. That's where yeah. I'm. Because t- t- it doesn't matter. It's so the it's not Secret Wars in that what the, the events of Super Smash Brothers do not matter outside of Super Smash Brothers, right? Like Link shows up and he never mentions it in the Zelda books, not, or at least not significantly. Not significantly. Mario doesn't care in his world. Mega Man doesn't care in his world. So it's not significant. But on the other hand, it's exactly taking all of your Nintendo mm-hmm. toys and dumping them in, dumping them onto the floor and saying, oh, my God, I can make Mega Man punch Wario. That's the game, right? Like, that's the whole game is just what happens if what happens if Link and Yoshi think, get to fight each other? It's part of that, though, because I mean, OK, having not read the, the that particular comic book and not being one of the comic book people on the call. Um, Smash Brothers, I think part of what's so difficult to define is because we've already talked about is like there has to be, it seems to be in order to have a crossover, there has to be some sort of like narrative convergence. Mm -hmm. Super Smash Brothers, well, Super Smash (laughs) Brothers has a story and it's basically like a big bad evil has emerged. We must all defeat the big bad evil collectively by punching each other because reasons. Um, That's the the plot of Secret Wars. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's okay, because I guess part of the thing deep. that doesn't make Super Smash, like Smash Brothers, a compelling crossover to me is because narratively, like the narrative is an excuse to have a brawl. It's not a major part. Like it's not a narrative video game, and mm-hmm. in a in the way that I would assume for a comic book, there has to be it's a story, so there has to be some kind of narrative. Like you, Super Smash Brothers, no, 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 you're, you're, you're still you're still describing Secret Wars. Yeah, right, that I have nothing. It's arguably like, bad. Because Super Smash Brothers like doesn't need a story because it's just a game and, and you like to punch yeah. your friends in a way that's not um, domestic violence. Uh, <laughs> whereas I, I mean, comic book has to have words and pictures and plot, doesn't it? What well, what is this? I, I think ideally they, it should. They, <laughs> the ramifications of Secret Wars, i.e., the new costume, She-Hulk, and Fantastic Four, were far more important than yes. any of the individual events in Secret Wars itself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think that's actually kind of what we're talking about. Is because I think Super Smash Brothers is the perfect example of a crossover. Where we're getting a little hung up is whether it's good or not. And I think you use yeah. the word compelling. Like there are crossovers. Like the like, mm. this is really in the weeds. But the the Secret Wars, there's been three volumes of Secret Wars miniseries over the course of 30 years at Marvel, and the third mm-hmm. one is excellent because it's really rooted in narrative. It's a it's a Doctor Doom story at the end of the day, and that's, that's a plot the, to the third one. Yeah, yeah. the third the one third has, one has, a, has a, a beautiful has a story, beautiful art, characterization. It has real impact, so it's a good crossover. But it's no less a crossover than Secret Wars one, which is literally Super Smash Brothers in the Marvel universe. So I yeah. do think they are crossovers. And I think Super Smash Brothers mm. is probably the best example of one, but it, it just isn't necessarily compelling if your interest is the overall narrative of the Nintendo verse. Okay. If my interest is fun game, then yeah, Super Smash Brothers is great. But I, I guess that's why I struggle with calling it a crossover, because crossover implies exchange. So it implies that what happens in the Super Smash Brothers universe ah. is consequential for the other universes, which is not true. Okay. So like yeah, there's that's... input from the Zelda universe, the Mar- the Mario universe, etc. 
there's not really equal exchange going backwards. I think that's why okay. I hesitate to call it a crossover. That's and that's and that's an interesting. I think yeah. that I, yeah, and that maybe because that because that probably is the difference, right? Like the difference between Super Smash Brothers and and Secret Wars is again Super Smash Super Smash Brothers. Nothing matters, right? But to so just I wouldn't, okay, again, I, I wouldn't say nothing matters. Like I said, that there are there are nebulous universe implications. Yeah. Nothing significant. Not is it better? A direct like it is not like there's not a Zelda game that directly references the events of, of right. And well, I'm not aware okay. of any other Nintendo game that does. I could be wrong about um, that, but okay. So in the in the comics thing, the Marvel DC cross company crossover, JLA Avengers, Superman, right, Spider Man, uh, X Men, Teen Titans, they're that. I mean, they they are. You're taking these characters from different companies. You're putting them in the same place. There's a narrative reason for them to be together. They made some really good stories out of that. None mm-hmm. of them are ever mentioned again, nor will they be. They have no <laughs> impact they, whatsoever on so, when they go back. So what, they, they, they essentially don't happen in the JLA Avengers crossover does not happen in either the Marvel or the DC universe. It happens in that one book, period. Interesting. And, and never so, never so referenced like, anywhere else. Okay. So like Anna. what what about who framed Roger Rabbit? Yes. So like that that's yeah, kind of yeah. that similar thing. Like or though I want to talk I just want to reference Wreck It Ralph like once because Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no, no, that that's perfect. Yeah. Because like I mean like there are cameras like you know, like, you know different actual video game characters in that right. Like like Bowser like shows up mm. in like a villain support group um or something. Uh, but like the, those characters, like literally cross over at the end of the night when the video games come off, right? Like they, they like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a behind the scenes crossover because there are implications for every game depending on what like the characters do. And when Ralph leaves his video game to like not be a villain, it like really screws it up for the Mario character whose name I can't remember because he thinks it be <laughs> like color. What color is the outfit? No, he's a he's a character that is basically Mario for Wreck It Ralph. He's yeah. Detective oh, Beelis. Yeah. Oh, okay, he's okay. Detective Beelis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I surprisingly haven't seen Wreck It Ralph, which seems like a massive oversight <sighs> on my part. I no, you I, like Wreck-It, it. I recommend Wreck It Ralph one. Yeah. I think Wreck It Ralph two is basically Toy Story four and Frozen two, and Disney needs to stop doing the same story over again. That's another story for another day. Anyway, Wreck It Ralph one uh, is whimsical, and you'd love it. I like whimsy. Um, I like whimsy in video games. These are the two things that I enjoy. I also like want to be annoying and throw in another term and ask. We're never annoying on this there, show. Is there, Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> is there a is there a difference between mashup and crossover? Because I I that's, the word. Mm. that's what I would call Super doing, Smash Brothers. That in, is a brilliant. Yes. Yeah. In doing a very careful research for this episode, I of course went on the Wikipedia page of crossover and found like. You know, like there were shows that were mentioned, and one of them was Once Upon a Time, which, uh, for those of you who have not watched this show that was interesting at first, then became like the hottest of messes. Um, <laughs> that is that is fair. <laughs> um, that is entirely fair. Like, so, so, so basically, the premise is is Snow White and Prince Charming live happily ever after and like have a daughter, and the Wicked Queen's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, not happening. No happy endings for you. So the the daughter gets separated, grows up like in our world, and is bitter because she's you know alone in the world um and yeah yeah i mean like yes um and then she like (laughs) ends up in this like small town in maine because of reasons that i won't get into because it'll get too long but she like this small town in maine 
I think it's, I think it's main. It doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> Storybrooke. Anyway, she's in Storybrooke. And then like she is being convinced that it's actually full of fairy tale characters who can't remember their past lives, including her mother and father. And she has to save them. And it devolves from there and includes all sorts of fairy tales and also eventually Disney specific specific versions of characters like Elsa and Anna mm-hmm. um, in a very strange sequel to Frozen that honestly I think was better than what Frozen 2 came out with <laughs> in hindsight but like whatever that's not the point of this anyway point is it's like a shared universe that has a lot like draws on a lot of sources and brings things together in a coherent narrative and it's used as an example of crossover but it doesn't feel like a crossover to me because it's like not it's a new thing it's, it's a, a new, new thing it's, well, and, and, and in comics there was fables which was much the same premise yeah, yeah. I, I think actually people say that fables inspired once upon a time and may have been some yeah Having seen having seen both, I could see that argument. On the other hand, it's also just a very obvious thing to do, right? Yeah. Like there's, yes. There was a sitcom yeah. the way, the way back that I'm forgetting the title Charmings. of right now. The Charmings, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. I might be the that. only two people on the planet who remember the Charmings. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Charmings had the best convention ever, which is that um, in many ways, it's exactly the same as Once Upon a Time. It's Snow White and um, Prince Charming trying to live their happily ever after. Only unlike some versions of 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 um, where there's you know the Charming Brothers like in like in Into the Woods. No, Prince Charming from Cinderella and Prince Charming from Snow White is just the same guy. Yeah. So Cinderella is his ex. And snow and oh snow God. hates her. Yeah, snow yeah, White I hates her. It, yeah. It's so great. Yeah. yeah that, that's the oh, yeah. charming in fables as well. Well, I think yeah. there's see I, the, the term mashup to me implies something very different than that though. To me, mashup oh, is taking two things and creating something new out of it. So in music, you can go on YouTube and look up mashups where somebody at home with with uh iTunes DJ or, Danger or, Mouse the great yeah, album with yeah. Um, right, the, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> where where you take two different songs love will tear us apart and 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 love will keep us together and mash them up into one song mm-hmm. you know where where you, you actually mesh the music and the lyrics from these two different songs to create a new entity in comics I'm going to use the example of the amalgam comics yep where Mar- Marvel and DC did a whole series of characters like Super Soldier who was Superman and Captain America if he was the same guy and mm-hmm. makes makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 they, but they were original characters, but they embody characteristics from a character from Marvel and a character from mm-hmm. DC. So I think of that as a mashup. Here's a brand new character, but it only exists as a amalgamation of these two other existing characters. But I don't see that as a I don't see that as a crossover in the same way either. I agree. I, can I ask, does the way the narrative is constructed over time impact it? Because, and uh, it's going to sound really weird, but I was thinking about, so the Justice Society of America, which was the first ever superhero team back in the 40s, they were actually a collection of characters from different companies who were put together on one team to try to sell more comics. But the conceit was the the Justice Society Golden Age books would open with the Justice Society members like Hawkman and the Atom and Sandman sitting around a table and then they would go off on an adventure and it would be solo stories with those, yeah. those characters in their own sort of company world. And, and in my mind, that's always been 
a sort of pastiche of the Knights of the Round Table, right? Like it's mm-hmm. you know same idea of like a yeah, this that, shared that mythology. First, yeah, that first cover references that exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and so I think about if we're talking about crossovers, and if if crossovers are the coming together of, and I'm not saying this is we've gotten to this place, but if it's potentially the coming together of disparate universes or characters into sort of one narrative convention. Then, then do texts that develop through like oral language and tradition count? Like, like would the Judeo-Christian Bible count? Would, yeah. would you know, the <laughs> count? I, 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 mm-hmm. I was going to mention earlier, and this is the perfect place for it, the Arthurian tales, the stuff we think of mm-hmm. as Arthurian legend mm-hmm. came from a wide variety of sources. The mm-hmm. Tristan and old stories were their own set of tales mm-hmm. that had nothing to do in. with King Arthur until mm-hmm. a couple hundred years later where they were blended into it. And and, and, you know, we still get a million different people every year writing their take on the Arthurian stuff. And it's green knight, it's, green knight. Sorry. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, but exactly. So, you know, these aren't really crossovers. They're new iterations. of tale, But if you, so you would call those mashups, Wayne? Or yeah, I, I think so. Um, you okay. know, cause I, you know, I, okay. Plugging myself here. I, I wrote my Arthurian net novel, Bedivere. And, oh, okay. and that and, I thought you meant the other Arthurian novel. Um, King no, of Summer, yeah, no, 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 the one that is an actual <laughs> Arthurian novel as opposed yes. to, you know, symbolically an Arthurian novel. But Bedivere is I mean, it's my take on those characters is sort of the culmination of every other Arthurian story I've ever read and mm-hmm. how I view those characters and how I filter that information through my own whatever. So, yes, I suppose my version of King Arthur is a mashup <laughs> of every other King Arthur I've ever read. But not specifically, I am taking the one from Park Godwin and the one from Hal Foster and making them into one guy. So I want to segue into the based on what you're just saying there, I want to segue into some of our our, our listener comments. Uh, we had we had a question from a friend of the show, uh, David White. He asked me specifically if I'd considered the Wold the Wold Newton stuff and the work of Winscott Eckert. And I hadn't, but he's got a, he's got a really interesting point there. So just for because this goes into the shared universes versus um, serialization versus blah 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 sequels. So, Wold Newton universe is um, the Wold Newton family was um, originally designed by this uh, science fiction writer, writer named Philip Jose Farmer, and he comes up with the idea that the by then public domain books of Tarzan, Doc Savage, Sherlock Holmes, and Phineas Fogg, who's um, around the world in 80 days. Those are, those are, he says they all happen in the same universe. And what he, his, his rationalization is that in 17 on December 13th, 1795, this meteorite um, crashes into a cottage, a cottage in um, Wold Newton. It's a, it's a city in England. Um, that happened in real life. In our real, in our real world, that happened. This um, meteorite crashes into this town in England. Um, and his argument is the meteorite was mildly radioactive, and two carriages happened to be passing by as the meteorite crashed, and the inhabitants of those two carriages were um, irradiated, and their offspring have the potential for greater intelligence and strength. And if you fast forward a hundred years, those. Um, uh, Tarzan, Doc Savage, Sherlock Holmes, and Phineas Fogg all happen to be descendants of people who were in those carriages. And so 
he uh, uh, farmer uses that to sort of weave together this universe of books. Now he's doing a mashup, right? He's just deciding like Wayne um, mentions that he's deciding that these stories are all glued together League. in order to do something new. League of and Extraordinary li- Gentlemen, so, Planetary, so, or, or Penny Dreadful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or Penny yes. Dreadful. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they they're all they're all Penny Dreadful and Planetary are both um, Planetary, a comic book, Penny Dreadful, a TV show. Both plays on the Walt Newton universe. They mm-hmm. they both owe owe something to it. Um, other people have built besides Farmer have built, Farmer's dead. Other people have built, have built onto this universe, including Win Scott Eckert, who writes books um, today. Now Eckert has this other concept that he calls outside of the. Now he says that there's a Walt Newton universe, which very much is all about who can I tie back to this meteor event. Like the stories have to have mm-hmm. that have, have that role. Um, but he has this theory that he um, he has these two volumes called Cro- Crossovers One and Two, and his uh, and some friend of his whose name escapes me right now has 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 also written uh, crossovers three and four, which I had had not gotten yet, but I, I went through crossovers one and two, a secret chronology of the world by Winscott Eckerd. What he has done is he has gone back through the history of literature and any two books that he can find that have a, what he would consider a legitimate crossover where two characters from disparate narratives joined together for one story he considers them to have entered the crossover universe he has special rules which sort of discount a lot of superheroes because he because like we said at the beginning of this episode that just you know that just happens too often for superman and batman and he doesn't want to say if i include batman i include all the dc universe so he so he doesn't just count superhero stuff but Anytime you see Sherlock Holmes fight Dracula, that means that Sherlock Holmes and Dracula both exist in this crossover universe. So he has thus traced the chronology of the crossover universe in two volumes from the dawn of time through the future. So the first volume goes from like, you know, thousands BC with stories about Beowulf (laughs) and Gilgamesh all the way. So basically... In this person's Too universe, yeah. essentially almost every fictional historic fictional character yeah. ever exists in the same universe. Uh, no, his it, it, it's it is it is. I, I mean, I've been going through this the last the last few days. He has very tight chronology rules because he's his project is it's very much an academic project, right? It, it, he's it, has, tr- it has there has to be a reference to these characters. It, there, there has to be a reference and it has to. It has to make sense. So he is trying to build a cohesive timeline where which includes both Sherlock Holmes and um, and Phineas Fogg and uh, who else? Um, Frankenstein. Okay. You know, like <laughs> it is literally it is it is very, very specific. And he's trying but and he only includes things when there's a cohesive story that is not incidental. The thing that we talked about earlier. Right. So like it has to be part of the narrative that this story only exists because Frankenstein and Dracula met each other. Right. Or Dracula like Dracula can live forever, forever because he's a vampire. But um, Sherlock Holmes can't. So he's got to figure out he's got to figure out a way how how can Sherlock Holmes and Batman inhabit the same universe? And he does and he does this chronology. It it's fascinating. I don't know if it's useful, but it's fascinating. And that's kind of where I'm the, where I'm thinking is is the idea of a crossover only an academic exercise, a thought experiment to go back to our previous exercise where we're just really trying to not even prove anything, but exercise our brains and say, isn't it neat that we can, you know, 
we like pointing at stuff as we've talked about lots of things. You know, do we only want the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to show up in Avengers movies because we can say, look, 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 we can recognize the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Do we want Sherlock Holmes to show up in a Frankenstein story just because we want to do the academic exercise of what's it like if Sherlock Holmes has to solve Frankenstein? I mean, probably like uh, crossovers are fun. Yeah. Or even even if it's not like a crossover, technically, like all of these stuff, like mashups, crossovers, all this kind of stuff, it's fun because like we like the characters we like. We like to see them in multiple contexts. Yeah, I, I think that's the bottom line for all of our talk on the academics of this and, and what the definitions are. I think they continue to be successful and popular. People want to see them because it's fun. Mm-hmm. I you just as, as you said, I think that's that's kind of the bottom line of, of why this happens. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, there's there's the, yeah. there's there's the what if element. What if Frankenstein met Donald Duck, you know, or whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, look, like there there were tons of 90s, like small crossovers, like Ursula from Mad About You appeared on Friends because mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. actress played Phoebe and Ursula. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was like like uh, Fran Drescher played Bobby Fleckman in Spinal Tap. And that's how I got Josh to agree to watch The Nanny. Um, <laughs> to see the episode where she crossed over. <laughs> like it's so it's it gets you. It gets fun. you. I mean, if, it, if it's good in that, it gets your significant other to watch some TV show that you want to watch just to see that cameo. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's useful. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny if you watch both shows. It doesn't affect the narrative if right. you haven't. Like, I've never seen an episode of Mad About You. I just know the fact. Mm-hmm. But it's like an extra thing for people who like. Like, I would have been upset if Agents of Shield had appeared in the background at some point in like an Avengers movie because. Like random shield agents appear in those movies all the time, and mm-hmm. they also cross over with that show. Like minor characters from the movies appear as minor-ish characters. Yeah. So that goes back shield. to our shared universe thing. Like how how essential mm-hmm. is it? So mm-hmm. for your for your mad about you example, because I actually did watch both shows. Right, um, Ursula and Phoebe are sisters in the context of Friends and Mad About You. This matters a lot on Friends. Ursula shows up on Friends and um, and it matters that she is Phoebe's sister. That character you know, has ramifications that affect the narrative of Friends. You would never know on Mad About You. Mm-hmm. Phoebe doesn't matter to their universe at all because Ursula on Mad About You is a minor character. She's a you know, she's a supporting character um, and it doesn't matter that she has a sister. It, it just doesn't like um, it, it, they are. She is the same character, but you find out way more about their relationship. Ursula is far more important to the Friends plot than she than Phoebe is to the Mad About You plot where she is inconsequential. It, and I, it, you, you would never know. I think the shared space thing matters, too, because, you know, I think about uh, you're talking about friends. I remember when the ER doctors, you know, when uh, George Clooney mm-hmm. and Noah Wiley crossed over onto friends and they were so out of place because ER was this hyper dramatic show you know, about life and death. And then they crossed over to friends and flirted with Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox. And it like just didn't really work. And it, it, it wasn't, you know, a successful uh, crossover because like you said, the, the stakes sort of weren't there, but I mean, I guess it, it meets the definition, you know, of a crossover, but when those stakes are present or, or when there is a shared space, like I think about Frasier, when Woody came to visit Frasier in Seattle, that's one of my favorite episodes of that show. I think it's hilarious. And it's this reminder mm-hmm. of this shared backstory, this shared universe that Frazier had sort of left behind from Cheers. And Woody just slides right in because the characters have this dynamic and this this sense of shared place. And the, and the audience has that same sh- sense. So there's this sort of shorthand that's created that's really comfortable. And, and so, I, yeah, I think it's I think they're both crossovers, but I think it is the nuance between a good one and a bad one or an effective one and an ineffective one, I should say. Mm hmm. 
So before we finish up, I just wanted to just because we're talking about TV, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my favorite thing about crossovers, which is the Tommy West Paul universe, which <laughs> which I did not mention in the blog because I was like sort of saving it. And I don't know where to go with it, but I don't know if, if I wonder how much of a crossover there is with our audience. Um, uh, <laughs> I was a big fan of the TV show St. Elsewhere. Mm-hmm. St. Elsewhere is a hospital drama, much like ER um, or Grey's Anatomy. It is um, uh, there's a it's a hospital drama that, among other people in supporting roles, stars a young Howie, um, Howie Mandel and a young Denzel Washington um, there in, earlier in their careers. And it runs for six years from 1982 to 1988. And it is it, it takes place in a Chicago hospital. Um, and there's a minor character in the um, in the TV show named Tommy Westpaw, played by actor Chad Allen. And Tommy Westpaw is the nephew of uh, I believe he's the nephew or the son of um, of one of the doctors there. And he's autistic. He's just the autistic boy that is on a dozen episodes of this series that runs for six years. He's not important. He's not a major character. He's, you know, coloring of the world is I happen to have um, an autistic child. And then the way St. Elsewhere ends is on the very final episode um, as the as the show is ending, it's snowing outside and the camera pulls back and it pulls back and it pulls back. And suddenly that you see that the hospital is inside of this snow globe. And then you find out that Tommy Westpaw is playing with the snow globe and the entire series of St. Elsewhere had been a one day daydream of Tommy Westpaw, this, this autistic child and everything that happened in the entire series was just something that he imagined one day. Um, you also find out that Tommy's father is a character from the show, his father from the show, but also his grandfather is a completely separate, unrelated character from the show. So he apparently, and they're like a construction worker and a cook or a taxi driver or something like there. He, he imagined these whole different lives for everybody that he imagined all in one day. Now, the problem with this is St. Elsewhere was a very popular show at the time, and it crossed over with many other television shows, which have crossed over with other television shows, which have crossed over with other television shows and movies. And you can find people charting this online, too, if you follow every possible crossover link the way that Eckert does with novels and you do it with t- with television, some 80 or 90% of American television theoretically crosses over with St. Elsewhere within five or six links, and therefore all of television happens in the mind of Tommy Westpaw. So goes the argument. <laughs> I mean, I kind of enjoy that headcanon, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything, and, and, it, and it gets weird, right? Because it ends up going, it ends up eventually crossing over, like the St. Elsewhere characters show up in Cheers, but also they show up in um, Scrubs, which wasn't even on the air at the time. And then stuff will cross over with eventually the X-Files. And then once you get to John Munch, who shows up um, in a crossover <laughs> um, from from um, Law and Order SVU, um, John Munch, played by Richard Belzer, has been on something like 15 or 20 different television shows as the same character. Um, so you get it. And then it like, you know, it kind of branches off into Blade Runner and Alien and you get all these movies. Because it, it, it is absolutely bizarre. And I will I will hopefully link in the show notes if I remember. I will, I will link in an image of the or a link to the Tommy Westpaw universe um, wikis that you can find and, and websites. It's fascinating. But again, does this matter? Because people will argue. I've seen people arguing 
you know, academics arguing about whether or not this makes sense. You know, no, just because it crossed over, even if St. Elsewhere was a dream, it doesn't matter if I dream about um, if I dream about the president doesn't mean the president doesn't exist. It just means that I had a dream where where, where the president was in it. Right. Joe Biden is still a, a real person, so it doesn't make sense. Right. So I've seen people like argue this out and it doesn't matter at all. It's an, it's an entirely academic exercise. So is that what crossovers are? Right. Do we just enjoy enjoy it because we enjoy linking stuff? We enjoy counting and pointing. I mean, we like finding the pattern. Like, not to get psychological about it, but like that's one of the things that our brains like to do is like yeah. we like making. I mean. When we say it's like it, it's purely academic argument, like that doesn't mean it's like that's why we like making the argument is because like that's why the show exists is because argument yeah, is every, fun. It turns out, yeah, we're all academics, so you know, yeah. so, but, so well, sure, and, and, and we're all pattern makers and pattern recognizers and puzzle makers. You put putting the pieces together, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Like people. that's that's I think I think that's what the appeal of crossovers in some ways is. Like not necessarily that it's an academic argument because like oh boy, that's exhausting, but like. <laughs> uh, yeah, we just we we like we, well we like seeing reoccurring characters. It's like if you have a favorite yeah. character, you always want to see more of it, right? To a certain extent. I mean, I accept that Firefly was it had its time, and probably if it kept going, <laughs> would become horrible. But like, we like more content from our favorite our favorite characters and our favorite creators, and it's like, mm-hmm. and we also like the nebulous exercise. Like, there's no reason like going on a fan wiki and writing fan articles should be as fun as it is. Like. For for many people, like it does, it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. at all. But we enjoy it because it's fun. Because it's fun to like think it's it's to me like part of the extended enjoyment. I mean, this is the reason why I like watching, even though it's kind of a weird thing. Like I like watching, you know, play like let's play videos of like video games. Why? Because it's just I like those games, and it's a different way to consume that kind of content. Uh, I don't know where I was going with this, other than fun stuff is fun, and we should just enjoy fun stuff. <laughs> so so. So, so we resolve nothing other than fun stuff is fun. <laughs> I think that's a that's a resolution worth. Fun stuff know. is fun. Eugenics bad. Fun stuff is fun. <laughs> eugenics bad. I think we can agree. These are, these are things we can agree upon, regardless of whether or not we can agree what a crossover is. Well, I, I think it's also the reason we have birthday parties. I, not the eugenics part, obviously. Hopefully, it's the reason yeah, eugenicists have birthday parties. Probably, yeah, exactly. I'm not judging, but well, I'm a, I actually I'm judging. I am judging. Yeah. We're judging. Yeah, we, judging. We judge eugenicists on this podcast. Yeah, uh, but it's the same reason we have birthday parties, right? It's the same. We get our work friends and our school friends and our family yeah. friends and our fa- so we know we get we get all of our shared continuity together. Yeah, and, and we like to look at the tapestry and we like to bring everybody together and see what connections are made. And so, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I did the holiday party. We resolved something, Sean. You just gave us the answer. It's like a birthday party. That's exactly what it <laughs> yeah. is. That's what cross. Yeah. No, I mean, the, you're exactly it's, right, right? Yeah. Like, uh, like if, if I have a party, which, you know, like, I mean, like right now, big pandemic, we're waiting for people to be able to gather together. And what, what do you do for a birthday party? You exactly do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, if I have a birthday party, I invite 20 to 100 or, you know, however your party is, but I invite 20 people over whose only real relationship is that they all know me mm-hmm. yeah 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 and, and sometimes we we make other friendships and relationships through that party i mean mm-hmm. i've had that happen at your parties sure sure yeah but, like that's know, yeah but that's the logic like, yeah. friendship is the ultimate crossover are we gonna do a cheesy oh, Saturday, Saturday oh, 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 cartoon <laughs> special i hate myself a little oh, bit now I'm sorry <laughs> Oh, well, we did cross over with Sean. So, and, and Sean 
got to this episode through crossing over on my other show. So, <laughs> I mean, that's how it works, right? There's the shared podcast universe. Exactly. <laughs> I also live in a snow globe, so it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, where can people find you? So that's a great segue. Uh, So I am the co-host of Marvel Superhero Secret Wars and Beyond on the Pulp to Pixel podcast network, uh, where we talk about Secret Wars. It's a lot of fun. I also co-host the NeverEnding Reading Pile, where Buddy and I just pick random comics and talk about things that we love. It's a super positive show. It's just mainlining nostalgia. And then I co-host the Bat Pod, where we talk about the new Batman books as they come out. So, uh, you know, I again... I, this is the point my life has brought me to and I'm, I'm happy, <laughs> you know, it's a little weird to say it out loud, but uh, it's good. It also feels good. So, yeah. So thanks for having me. This was, this was a lot of fun. And, uh, as yeah, a, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. And I, you know, as, as a English major and somebody who was an English teacher for 20 years, uh, it was nice to exercise this part of my brain. So we, I appreciate we, it. We, we need to talk about Marvel role playing sometime. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm in. We somehow that's haven't true. had a role playing episode yet. Have we? No. Well, we had a D&D yes, episode, but that's not quite the Liter- same. Uh, yeah, well, I was going to say, you and Wayne literally did a whole D&D episode. How is that not D- a role-playing episode? D&D, that's not the same. But that's not role-playing in general. That's D&D. Anyway, okay. this is not important. Yes, okay. I, all right. Uh, uh, yes, okay. I see. Uh, Palindrome Hannah, where can people find you? You can find me at foxpopcast.com, where we post blogs and other content. Maybe you can be on the show if you have something to say about an upcoming topic. <laughs> and Katya. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at just that nerd kid uh, when I decide to post, which is currently <laughs> never. It seems you had a you had a blast of several for a little bit. Yeah, there. I tried. It's just it's maybe I'll just start posting my Animal Crossing uh, creations because that's my life now. <laughs> Wayne, uh, mostly here. Hey, I, I, I want to. A friend of mine uh, gave what I thought was a, a great review for the show. I'm going to quote it here. He swears he's going to actually leave this in review someplace, but I, I like this. He said that every time he listens to the show, he comes away from it feeling smarter. So mission accomplished. Mission accomplished, dude. Yeah. So well, yeah. hold on. No, smarter, smarter because he's learned something from us or smarter because he's comparing <laughs> he himself smarter to us. Either, to be honest. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I, I think he, he meant it in the positive way that he actually uh-huh. learned something by listening to us. So. I mean, if he leaves the five star review, you know, do it, do what you will, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe smarter because he understands what we're talking about. So it might be both. Speaking of, I will read our, our new, our new yeah, five star review that we got. Yeah. Um, uh, we have a review from Steve Schaefer that says home of the five star review. <laughs> yes. This is a great podcast for anyone that wants to engage with the world around us in a more thoughtful way. Every week, the host and occasionally guests pick a topic typically related to popular culture and do an academic deep dive into it, teasing the topic apart and occasionally deriving greater understanding because of it. It will always entertaining and light enlightening and thought provoking. And now with 31 five-star ratings out of a total of 32 ratings, I think it's fair to say that the Vox Popcast is truly the home of the five-star review, which is what we want every episode, yes. every, every podcast review to say. Thanks, <laughs> so, Steve. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> uh, so if you would like to join Steve in having your review read on the air and just make us as delightfully happy as, as Steve just did, 
please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, but especially iTunes because that helps people find the show. Um, and now I'm plugging the show and I forgot to plug myself. So now, but I, but I'm going to be really lazy and not edit it back in. So I don't know. You're listening still. So you figure it out, but you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places at Vox Popcast. You can also follow the show on YouTube. We'd really appreciate it if you like and subscribe and hit bells and smash bells. I don't know YouTube stuff. I'm old. Like, subscribe, <laughs> and ring the bell, my friends. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> As I said, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. Leave us that five-star review. Make us happy. Goose's Algorithms makes the show happy and special and I don't know crossovers will happen and every time you leave a five star review an angel gets its wings you know good <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out I'd like to thank Sean for joining us I'd like to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time bye bye, bye.